Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is, uh, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power is being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Before I get too far into the text, um, I can't read this writing um, by, by Peter without having my mind brought to the account of Peter during the Holy Week, right? I read this and he says, and, and he says in here about the, the great hope, the living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I can't think about what it must have meant to Peter himself. Think about the events of the week leading up to this, right? Here is Peter who, who throughout his life, throughout his association with Jesus Christ, was the guy who was saying, I'm there for you. I, I, I've got you. My faith is in you. I believe in you. He's walked down this path with Jesus. He's, he's, he's seen people mock him. He's seen what Jesus has done. And he's continually said, I'm there for you. In fact, he was so there for him that he was willing to take on an army for Jesus, right? You guys remember the night that Judas betrayed Jesus? And as they stood in the garden, a battalion of soldiers came. And Peter stood up, right? Peter took his, his, his little sword and was going to stand up to a hundred guys for Jesus. He had lots of bravado in that moment. In fact, he was going to chop a guy in half, but he missed and just got his ear. And Jesus healed it. Peter beat his chest all the while, talking about how he would be there for Jesus. And then when he saw him finally taken, and he saw him arrested and thrown in prison and beaten, people came to him and said, did you know Jesus? And he said, no, absolutely not. He cursed the idea that he knew Jesus. Can you imagine Peter as he stood and watched Jesus die? In the shadow of his denial, can you imagine Peter? How his heart must have broken. He must have realized that, that when it really mattered, he really wasn't there for him. And now he's dead. He's gone forever. I can't imagine the weight that was on Peter. But he goes to the tomb that third day and he's not there. Now in that moment, what we understand is that even in that moment, they didn't quite realize what had taken place. Mary turns, thinking she's talking to the gardener, and says, where have you taken his body? So, so, so we know that they weren't quite sure that Jesus had risen in that moment. But if we read on, Jesus then appears to the disciples. Can you imagine the heart of Peter? Uh, the, the emotions that Peter must have felt knowing that Jesus was now alive. That the last act that he has with, with his Savior is not denial, but he begins to continue to live with him and be with him. And ultimately we see how, how he was impacted by the resurrection because he goes forward and he becomes a lion for Jesus. Preaching the word. 
delivering the gospel. All the way to the point which he died on a cross. It is amazing to think of that history and read these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There might be no one in history who feels more deeply the hope that comes in Christ's resurrection than Peter. But the truth is, there is no one in history who is in any less need of this resurrection hope. We need a violent hope to break through. Every year that passes, um, my family's Easter morning tradition that I grew up with becomes more um, illustrative in my mind of the lives of people that I see throughout our society. My, my Easter morning um, in my family started probably much like a lot of you guys experience. Um, we always had, before we went to church, an Easter basket hunt. How many of you guys grew up with an Easter basket hunt when you were a kid, right? Um, it all begins, the, this event all begins with a lot of hope, doesn't it? You know, as a, as a kid growing up, there was so much anticipation. Um, when, I, when I was a kid before church, we'd wake up and we, we'd run down because, because I was so excited about the fact that, that there was, there was going to be baskets full of candy waiting for me. Right? And it's crazy because the anticipation kind of builds because, because they're hiding the basket from you. Now, now as a kid, it kind of starts off a little easy, Right? Like, mom and dad, they take the basket, they put it in the middle of the living room, and they're like, where's your basket? <laughs> well, I don't know. Where'd your basket go? And then you run to it, and you lift it up, and they're like, oh, you found it, you found it. But then as you get older, mom and dad, they take it, and they hide it a little bit better. You know, as you, as you get to be four and five, it's, be, it's behind a chair, and then... As you get, you know, like before you become a teenager, it's like in the closet behind the winter coats. But because you're having to look for it, because, because, you, because it's just building, the anticipation is building. And, and if your experience is like my experience, the reality of the finding of the basket never matches the anticipation of the basket. Because first of all, there were the jelly beans. My parents never, never would splurge for Jelly Belly jelly beans. They always bought the cheap butt ones in the discount aisle at Target, right? You know what I'm talking about? The, the ones that, that, that taste like, like sugar-covered boogers? Right? And then, and then as a kid, you're always like, oh, there's going to be a chocolate bunny in there. What a great experience. And, 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 you, and you open it up, and it is always the, the, the most waxy, nasty, oversweet chocolate you could ever have. That's why for like weeks after Easter, in my basket was always a bunny with the ears bitten off. Right? And it would just sit there because you'd eat the ears, and you'd be like, I don't want to eat that. And then, there's like, and then there's like the worst candy in the history of the world, marshmallow peeps. Right? 
I mean, it's just, it's just awful. And you have these people who are like, no, marshmallow peeps are great. They're better when they're hard, right? Uh-huh. Do you know why they're hard? Because nobody wanted to eat them. They had the first one, and they're like, this is nasty, and it sits there, and it sits there for weeks and weeks and weeks, gets hard, and finally you're like, I need a sugar rush, and then you eat the hard marshmallow peep. When I was a kid, there was this hope of anticipation of something great happening. And every single time, I would be disappointed. And as I said, this experience is ever more illustrative in my mind of the lives of the people I see in our society. What I see as I look around are people waking up every day with a hope of finding in their life joy, peace, and fulfillment. Waking up searching behind every chair and around every corner through success or finance, sex, relationships, self-help methodology or self-medication, and finding that the actual experience never measures up to the anticipation. When I look around, what I see is so much confusion and anxiety and anger and disappointment and disenchantment and depression that is permeating our society. And it is the result of the hope of joy and the hope of peace that is found in the promise of cheap candy. And that's why I think the words of Peter in this passage are so powerful. I think they're powerful for us when we contemplate them on this Resurrection Sunday. I think it's next to impossible to look around at our culture, look around at our society, look around at what's going on, and not be convinced of the fact that we live with a bunch of people who have such hope, but that hope is constantly dashed. We have a hope in the resurrection. This is what Peter says, and that's why I love this passage, because it, 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 it progresses us through the, through the benefit that's initiated by Christ's resurrection. The passage reveals to us why this event has been continually recognized, celebrated, and enjoyed for 2,000 years. And this passage declares for us the violent hope that was brought forth because of the work of Jesus Christ. We are all in this life hoping for joy and peace and fulfillment and acceptance. But for the believer, it's not in the empty promise of the things of this world, but in the secure and the eternal hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look what Peter says. God has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What does the passage say? We are born again into a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first thing that's so important that kind of leaps out at the page at me and that we need to understand is the way in which, in which, in which P- Peter describes the hope we have. He says, a living hope. The implication, the message that Peter's trying to get across to us is that this is a hope that is animated. 
It is a hope that has life and has breath and moves with us as we live in this life. In the, in the, in the, original, in the original Greek, it, it's meant to be this, this perpetual idea that as I live, as I go, as I interact, as I have experiences in my life, that hope goes with me and is a part of it all the time. That it's not a hope that dies because of circumstance. It's not a hope that dies because, because of a diagnosis. It's not a hope that dies because of the loss of a job. It is a hope that is living and breathing and alive every step of our life. It animates our spiritual living. And when we get our eyes off of that resurrection, we will lose our spiritual breath. Here's the point I'm trying to make and the point I think Peter is making. You see, the world puts their hope for peace and joy in the promises of this world. Seeking the wealth, the pleasure, the power, the acceptance. And no one ever seems to find it. I don't think this declaration has ever been more true in my life than right now. I can't tell you the conversations I've had just, just in the last few days with people who feel crushed, feel, feel uh, hopeless, feel unbelievably broken because of what's taken place over this last year. When our hope for peace and joy goes unmet, our hearts and our minds are crushed. But what Peter declares is that through the resurrection, we have eternal hope. The resurrection is the linkpin of the Christian life. Because of the resurrection, there is power for Christian living revealed in his great victory. This is the reasoning Peter is using when he says the resurrection provides living, ho living hope. But how does that work? How does the truth of Christ's resurrection provide living hope for our lives every day? And this is why it's important. This is why I say so often we can come and celebrate Easter and we can partake in all of the, all the pomp and circumstance of Easter. And we can rejoice in his resurrection. We can say he's risen and we can do all this. But until we really understand what we get in the resurrection, when we walk out of this place, it won't make a real difference in your life. Peter reveals to us in his passage that the living, we have a living hope to find temporal peace in our eternal inheritance. Now hear that again and understand what I'm saying. We, because of the resurrection, we have a living hope, a hope that goes with us every day of our lives, that's a part of everything we go through, that's breathing and moving and a part of all of our circumstances. To find peace as a result of our eternal inheritance. The resurrection of Christ provides a living hope because we have a secure inheritance. Go to the passage again. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to what? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. 
He's saying that as a result of Christ's resurrection, we have, we have established for us by him an inheritance that is secure regardless of the circumstances of this life. We have something that is more valuable, that has more meaning, that transcends the experiences of this life. It's the idea that this life isn't what we live for. Do you see the difference? Do you see how that plays out every single day of your life if, if your eyes and your hearts are on an, an eternal inheritance? Just think about that for a moment. The declaration, we have an inheritance because of the work of Jesus Christ. We are brought into the family of God. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Because he rose again, he defeated our sin. He defeated our death. He defeated hell and made a way for us to come into the family of God and receive an inheritance. How many of you know that you are sons and daughters of God when you receive Jesus Christ? How many of you rejoice in that? That I am a son or daughter of, of the Most High God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Do you get that? Take that and lay it down aside whether or not somebody gave you a raise or didn't give you a raise. We have an inheritance, it says, because of that. I love the way in which that, that, that's brought out because what it basically is saying is you have full sonship as a result of your place in Jesus Christ. In fact, it's described like this in, 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 in Romans. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Paul is writing here in Romans, and he's saying, guys, it's not about you being a slave to God. It's about being, you being a child of God, and you have full relationship with him, and as a result, you have a full inheritance through him. That's what we have. And Peter goes in, and he says, he says it is unfiled, it is imperishable, it is eternal. Nothing that takes place on this earth can steal from you the most precious thing you have, which is your inheritance through Jesus Christ and his resurrection. We have this opportunity to live this life in light of the things that take place and go, I have an eternal hope that puts me in Jesus. I have salvation in him. I have an inheritance through him. And I want to remind you guys of something as it relates to that, because something that we as Christians need to hang on to. It's undefiled. It's imperishable. It is secure through the work of Jesus Christ. You are his children. You are today. You are tomorrow. You will be next week. You can constantly come to the arms of your father and know that he loves you and he cares for you. Our sin doesn't have to be something that, that keeps us from him.
The work of Jesus Christ was specifically so that our sin would not keep us from the Father. But each time we can come in repentance, setting aside our sin and come into his presence, and he receives us because he loves us. I've got three boys. One is 19, one is 15, one is 10. Every single one of them at some point has done something that I didn't like. All three of them are still my sons. And all three of them I still love dearly. I can promise you I am no better father than our Heavenly Father. Because of Jesus Christ, we are secure as sons and daughters of him. That in and of itself should be all the hope we need of the resurrection, right? But it's funny because Peter continues in this and he gives us a deeper understanding of the hope that we have as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, through the resurrection we have a secure inheritance and so, because of this, we can rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, yeah, he says your inheritance is secure because of the work, because of what Jesus Christ has done, because of the resurrection of Christ. And so you have an incredible hope in that of what's about to come. But he says not only that, but because of that inheritance you have, because you know the final victory you have, you know the final place you're going, as you go in this life through hard times, you can, you can face them, you can go through them, you can handle them in rejoicing. That's incredible, isn't it? How many of you, the moment you go through hard times, the minute you go through trials, the moment you go through struggles, your first response is, rejoice! The standard most of us Christians have for good Christian living is gritting our teeth and just getting through it and not cursing God. But he says the incredible hope we have is that we can go through various trials and continue to rejoice. How many of you in this place, in your life, have been grieved by various trials? We all have it, right? One of the greatest truths that we discover in the Word of God and we experience in this world is its brokenness. The brokenness in the lives of people and how it affects us. The brokenness in our own lives in our own hearts, and our own minds, and how it affects us. The brokenness in the world, and how it manifests in our lives through sickness and poverty. And so we face various trials. But Peter says, because of the resurrection, we can rejoice in this. You see, that's an incredible challenge to our own hearts and our own minds. And it becomes a challenge to our own hearts and our own minds 
when we believe that our existence, when we believe that our salvation, when we believe that our Christianity, when we believe that our lives is about us and our comfort. You see, too many people come and claim the resurrection of Jesus Christ as their means of salvation, believing that the whole point of it is so that my life will be comfortable and everything will be easy. And so when troubles come, when struggles come, we begin to lose our hope. And we don't rejoice, but we curse. But see, what the resurrection of Jesus Christ teaches us, what it, what it patterns for, what it, what it shows us, is that out of death comes life. That out of sacrifice comes salvation. That out of the goriness of the trials and the struggles comes the glory of God revealed. See, the pathway for every believer is to share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ so that the glory of God may be revealed in our lives, that he may be seen and others may be saved. I love how it is described by Peter himself in the same book in chapter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever read that and connected it to the sufferings of your life? Why do we rejoice as instruments of God, as children of God, when suffering comes? Because just as Christ's suffering revealed the glory of God and brought salvation to others, we have that same opportunity in our suffering to bring glory to God and bring others to the knowledge of God for their salvation. We as imitators of Christ will suffer. Sometimes it's direct persecutions like Christ and the disciples. Sometimes it's the result of the sin of others. You have to understand, you have to embrace this reality. Following Christ's example of love will mean the needs of others require us to endure at times heartache, mistreatment, and sacrifice so that the face of Christ will be revealed through our lives to people around us. When you endure, when you sacrifice, when you love, not when it's easy, not when it's simple, that becomes the greatest example of Christ's love anyone will ever see. We share in his sufferings so God's glory is revealed. And some of us will suffer as a result of the broken world in which we live in sickness and in poverty. But the resurrection provides a living hope. 
that when I suffer, I look to the resurrection and it shows me so clearly the temporary nature of the suffering in this life. And it shows me so clearly the victory that can come through Christ's example. When I become enraptured with the riches of this life, when I believe that the things of this world will make me happy, that's when I slide back down when I go through the hard times. But when I realize that I have an inheritance in Jesus Christ, that my purpose in this life is to bring glory to God, and that suffering provides an opportunity for me to do that, I have deep hope that abides in every circumstance. A living hope that breathes in every movement of my life. I'm going to tell you, I feel as though this message of hope is so needed in this time. The conversations that I've had over the last several weeks have broken my heart. As I've talked to people who are even confessors of Christ, who are struggling who are depressed, who are hurting. And it's so because we've lost sight of our inheritance in Christ, our purpose in this life, our hope that comes because of the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. This isn't our home. This isn't our treasure. This isn't our life. Jesus Christ, because of the resurrection, gave us our hope. I found myself over the last several years, over the last several weeks, last several months, wondering whether people can get that, whether people understand that. And then God brings into my life the most the most clear, the most, the, most, the most poignant example of someone who understands the hope we have in Christ that I think we all need to hear. Several weeks ago, this congregation lost a very precious member of it. He's a man by the name of Yeti Wooden. He was 45 years of age, and as he sat on his couch next to his wife and his daughter, he succumbed to a massive heart attack. He died there in front of his family. As the paramedics came in and, and everyone came in and out and the family was there, there was a chaplain who was there. And just as they were going to take Eddie's body away, he turned to Yeti's wife, Faith, and said, can I pray before he goes? Faith said, if it would be all right, I would like to pray. And she took her husband's hand and began to pray a prayer that my wife said was the most beautiful prayer she'd ever heard. A prayer of thanksgiving. Thanking her heavenly Father for the time they had been given together, for the blessing he had been to her and to the children, thanking him for his mercy 
and grace in the time of her greatest loss. And celebrating the fact that their inheritance was in the next life where they would see each other again in the presence of their Savior. This testifies to the glory of our God. Is he your hope? The work of Jesus Christ, that first resurrection Sunday, was meant to bring us hope. Hope eternal. A living hope that holds you and comforts you and brings joy and peace to you. And we lose it. We lose it when we get our eyes off the work that Jesus Christ did. May you know the living hope that violently broke through that first Easter morning.